again, welcome. It's good to be with all of you today. I'm looking forward to this message today where we're talking about a little controversial subject, talking about the gift of tongues. When Becky and I were talking about what we're going to call this service, we called it Tongues Untied. Becky made a joke. She said what we could call this service is how to split a church. Because so often when you talk about the gift of tongues, people's first reaction is one of two. Either I like it or I don't like it. And sometimes there's no middle ground. So hopefully today I will present a fair and a biblical understanding of the gift of tongues. And you will leave encouraged and transformed. And hopefully you'll like my message. Because we're talking this, in this series about encountered by the Holy Spirit. And sometimes when you are encountered by the Holy Spirit, there is either a reaction where people are like, that is totally amazing, or other people might think, that is crazy, you're drunk. We see that in the book of Acts, in Acts number 2, when the Holy Spirit came and filled people, there were two reactions from the crowd. One of the crowd said, that's incredible, that's awesome, oh, it's happening, it's a phenomenal thing. And other people said, oh, those disciples are drunk. So sometimes when we press into the Holy Spirit encountering us, we have to deal with some kind of controversy. So often in our churches and our community, the Holy Spirit has become what Tyler Statton refers to as a familiar stranger. We know the Holy Spirit, we know his name, but we're not too familiar with him. Sort of like that neighbor across the street you've been living by for 10 years. You kind of know their name, but you really don't know that much about them. You bump into them in Meyer, and you're a little like, feel a little uncomfortable, like I've known you for 10 years, but I really know nothing about you. And that is sometimes our relationship with the Holy Spirit. So in this series and this year, we want to press into what does the Holy Spirit do and what is the Holy Spirit doing in our life so he is no longer a familiar stranger, but we have a deep relationship with the Holy Spirit. So let me begin by reading about when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost from Acts chapter 2. It's such a great verse, or verses. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from the heavens like a roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. Let me pause here for a minute and say one of the reasons I like the New Living Translation is they say and began speaking in other languages. Now you could have translated the Greek to say they began speaking in tongues and that is usually the common translation. But if you talk to really smart Greek experts, they will say the better translation is in other languages. So you could either use tongues or other languages. So often the reason that they, we use tongues, it's just tradition. So a lot of Bible translations just pass on the tradition, but really the best translation, in my opinion, is other languages. So there, if you're uncomfortable with tongues, call it other languages. So they began to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everybody came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own language being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are from, all, from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own language. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and the province of Asia, Phygea, 
Pamphylia and Egypt and areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Egypt, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We all hear these people speaking in our own language about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're drunk, that's all. Amazing passage when the Holy Spirit comes and fills the first believer with the Holy Spirit and to see these two different reactions. Some of you may recall, and some of you probably know very clearly, that I went to seminary in Pasadena, California about 26, 7 years ago. And so living in California was a wonderful experience. I mean, it was wonderful because that's where I met my wife and, and her family. And probably one of the best parts of seminary was actually eating at my mother-in-law's house. I probably, became eating, I probably spent more time with my mother-in-law than I spent with Becky my first year of seminary because Becky was living in Colorado. But I learned to eat well, and I had three good buddies in seminary, and we probably spent more time at the Wagner house eating than we did at seminary. So that was probably the best part of seminary, but another best part was meeting Becky. But the third thing that was fun about Fuller was my first year of Fuller, me and my friends just bopped around every Sunday to the different churches throughout Los Angeles. It's kind of a fun place to live. There's some big mega churches, the well-known pastors, and so we would spend each Sunday going to different churches. That was fun. But probably my favorite church to go to was get emotional. Wow, this is unusual. Anyway, <laughs> but at this point, I'm like, wow, this is powerful. So probably my favorite church to go to is the Anaheim Vineyard. Some of you may have heard about the Anaheim Vineyard with John Wimber, who was the senior pastor. Just an amazing church that started out a small little church and grew into a big denomination. If you've heard, if you've guys seen the movie Jesus Revolution, it would fair to say that the Vineyard denomination kind of burst forth out of that movement where you see Calvary Chapel kind of was birthed in the Jesus movement, and the vineyard came out of Calvary Chapel. So me and my friends, we would love to go to the Anaheim Vineyard, especially for the Sunday evening services. And it was about an hour drive from Pasadena, an hour each way, but nobody ever complained about the drive because it was worth it. So I would bounce over there with my friends, and you'd go there because you knew the worship was going to be incredible. And... And you knew the teaching would be incredible. And you knew the ministry afterwards would be incredible. It was just an amazing service. And so you loved every bit of it. You went to the Anaheim Vineyard with expectation. You knew that something was going to happen. You knew that the Holy Spirit was going to be there. You knew you were not going to be bored. And you knew you were going to be transformed. And we loved that part. So you went with great expectation. Wow, I miss that place. Anyway, it's still there. I just a little, it's a little more than an hour drive. So the beautiful part about the Anaheim Vineyard is you didn't end the service with amen. You ended the service with come Holy Spirit. And the Spirit came to each service in a powerful way. So we're going to end this service today with come Holy Spirit. And we're going to end each of our services with come Holy Spirit in the future. I do believe that as a church in the community, we have hit a time of transition. 
And I believe we've hit a time of transition where we can expect more of the Holy Spirit's work and activity in our community. I believe that is something that we should expect because that's something the Holy Spirit wants to do. It's not something that I just decided, hey, I think that'd be kind of cool to end the service with come Holy Spirit. I would actually like to have done that two, three, four, five years ago, but I didn't feel it was a time. Until now, I do believe it is a time for us to end our service with come Holy Spirit and see what the Holy Spirit's going to do among us. So it was a wonderful experience going to the vineyard because at the end, John Wimber would always say, come Holy Spirit, and you just kind of put your seatbelt on and you didn't know what was going to happen. So my first visit at the Anaheim Vineyard, I was excited, full of expectation. And so John Wimber said, okay, anybody who wants ministry, I want you to stand up and come to the altar, stand in the aisles. And so this is an auditorium that sat, I don't know, two, three, four thousand people. What do you think? I don't know. Somewhere two, three, four. I'm not. It was big. Yeah, it was big. That's, that's a good word. So I was there with my three friends and we're sitting there. So I'm like, oh, I want ministry. So it was all packed to the front. So I'm standing in the aisle. And, you know, so John starts praying for everybody in the auditorium. And suddenly... Something happened to me that I wasn't expecting, I had no paradigm for, and I didn't even know what it was. Suddenly I started to say words and phrases that were not in the English language. And I'm softly saying, I'm like, what am I doing? What is happening to me? I sound like a two-year-old babbling. So I had the ability to stop, and so I'm stopping, and John prays, and again, I'm finding myself saying words that I don't even know what they mean, or I don't even understand. I'm like, stop, Jack, what are you doing? And John keeps praying, and I keep talking, he keeps praying, and I'm like, stop, Jack. And it was the craziest experience I ever had in my life. I had no idea what was going on. So I finally figured, I must, I, I must be demon-possessed. This is probably some demon in me. I probably need deliverance. I'm probably going to manifest in this church, and all these 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 people are going to be this crazy seminarian. So anyway, I get back to the car with my friends, and my friends are kind of downloading what their experiences and what they thought, and they're like, so Jack, what did you think? I'm like, well, i got to tell you the truth. I said, I think I have a demon. I think I have something. I think there's something wrong with me. John's praying for people, and I'm babbling. I don't even know what I'm doing. And I stopped, and then I start. And finally, fortunately, my friends came from a little bit more of a charismatic background, a little YWAM experience, and they're like, you got the gift of tongues. And I'm like, what's the gift of tongues? I had no idea what the gift of tongues was. I've never heard of the gift of tongues. I grew up in a good Christian church. I went to Christian schools from kindergarten through college. I didn't know what the gift of tongues were. I didn't even know what the gifts of the Holy Spirit were. In our church, we kind of skipped over that part of the Bible. We never said it was bad. We never said it was wrong. We just skipped that part. And suddenly, here I am receiving the gift of tongues, and I'm like, I have no idea what it was, and I didn't know what to say to my friends. I didn't want to look too stupid. I had no appreciation or value for it. I was kind of like that seven-year-old that gets socks on Christmas. You're like, really? Can I got something a little better? I got a gift of tongues? I'm just going to babble like that? I had no idea. Now, I'll tell you, after I've matured a little bit, I'm very grateful for the gift, and I understand the power behind the gift, and I'm grateful that God gave it to me. But it was kind of a paradigm shift when you have no idea what it is and suddenly you're standing in a church service and there it comes upon you. And so I'm excited for the gift because it is powerful because look at what you hear in the book of Acts. 
where the people that are speaking in tongues have no idea what they're saying, and the other people that are listening say, wow, we hear these people speaking in our own language about the wonderful things that God has done. That's powerful. That's powerful that God can give you a gift of the Holy Spirit. That when you're speaking and you have no idea what you're saying, you are actually testifying to the wonderful things that God has done. That is a powerful gift. That is a sign and that is a wonder. And if you read past this part of the scripture, what happens next? 3,000 people came to relationship with Christ. But what got their attention was the sign and the wonder and the gift of tongues that happened that day. So the gift of tongues is a powerful gift. And I'll totally admit it to you, if there would have been a return line at the Anaheim Vineyard to change in the gift to get a different one, I would have been the first in line because I simply didn't understand it. But I understand it today, and it's a powerful gift. I think it's one of the most powerful, it's one of a very powerful gift, but it's also one of the most controversial gifts. And the reason it is controversial is because the enemy hates it. And the enemy doesn't want people to have it. He doesn't want people to use it. And a lot of people who have the gift of tongues don't even like to talk about it. They don't want other people to know. And a lot of pastors do when they like to preach. They like to skip the messages on tongues because it is so controversial. Now, it was probably way more controversial back 20, 30, 40 years ago. I would say nowadays more people are accepting it. More evangelicals that maybe they don't understand it are not as they're a little bit more comfortable with it. So before I talk about what the gift of tongues is, it's important for me to address some of the teachings around tongues that are probably wrong, that I would call error, they're not just good teaching, or some of it's just tradition that's passed on that wasn't actually accurate. So I want to do that because I think sometimes it's good to clear up any false ideas we have before I start talking about what it truly is. So in my opinion, there are four main errors of the teaching when it comes to gift of tongues, or maybe four main misunderstandings. So I'm going to explain these for a few minutes. Now the first error that I see when it comes to gift of tongues is that the teaching that says the gift of tongues or the gift of other languages was only for the first century church. Now people will use that argument, they'll say the gift of the Holy Spirit were only for the first century because they say that's what God needed to get the church started and then after the church was started then we no longer needed those gifts. Well that, that just doesn't make sense and that's actually not very accurate. But you will find some people that will hold strongly to this view that the gifts of the Holy Spirit were just from the past and they will take some various scriptures and try to try to use them in a way to say the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not valid for today, but in my opinion, uh, that's just wrong. That's not accurate. It doesn't even make sense that the Bible would spend so much time talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how to use the gifts of the Holy Spirit and then say, but none of you are going to actually use them. Because another main reason why the gifts of the Holy Spirit are important is because Jesus used the gifts of the Holy Spirit. See, as followers of Jesus, we understand that the path to becoming the truest version of ourself is following in the footsteps of Jesus. That is what we are called to do as followers of Jesus. We are to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. You say, what is your goal in life? To become a fully devoted follower of Jesus. That is what we are called to do as individuals, and that's what we're called to do as Christians, and that's what we're called to do as a church, help people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. So it raises a big question, how does that actually happen? 
Now we have to understand that we are to become like Jesus. We all kind of know that. We're coming to become like Jesus. Because as we become more like Jesus, we don't lose the distinction of our personality, of who we are. Instead, we become the truest version of who we are created to be. So as we become like Christ, we become like the people that we are supposed to be. So how do we become more like Christ? I think we all understand and we all expect and realize that we realize that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. We kind of got that down. But sometimes we forget that Jesus is also our model on how to be Christ-like. That Jesus is our model on how to live the Christian life. We often forget that Jesus became like us so we could become like him. So to fully understand how we become like Jesus, we need to understand how Jesus became like us. Now last year, the beginning of the year, we spent all 2022 talking about spiritual gifts, spiritual formation, and spiritual conflict. So you might remember last February, I talked about this little, what I'm going to talk about for the next two, three minutes, because it's so foundational to understand the role of spiritual gifts and the purpose of spiritual gifts. We need to understand that Jesus modeled for us how to use spiritual gifts. That's one of the reasons we know spiritual gifts are valid for today is because Jesus showed us how and modeled for us how to use spiritual gifts. Now let me explain that to you. We see in a few passages, we see in John 5 verse 19, Jesus says, I'll tell you guys the truth. The son, meaning himself, can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever father does, the son also does. And then in John 14, 16, it says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to the father. See, the first ra verse raises a really good question. If Jesus is God, why is this verse even in the Bible? Why is he even there? After all, why does Jesus only have to do what he sees the father doing if he is God? So we see in Philippians 2, verse 6, and this is a, such a good passage to understand. It says, Jesus existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God at his supreme price. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. He humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He was a perfect example, even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. See, this is remarkable what Jesus has done, and most of you probably understand that, that Jesus gave up his divinity for our purpose. Now, this is important. Jesus never stopped being God, but he chose to give up his divinity so he could be like us. So while he's on earth, he's operating as a human being. He's not operating of God one minute, a human being the next minute. He is fully a human being. See, some people look at the scripture and say, well, how did Jesus do the things that he did? How did he raise the dead? How did he have foreknowledge to events? How did he do these things? And they think, well, he's God, like kind of like he was a superman, that one minute he's a human, then he puts on a cape and becomes a superpower God. No, he didn't do that. Jesus stayed a man the entire time he was on earth. So you wonder, how did Jesus do the stuff? How did he do the miracles? How did he do the signs and wonders if he didn't slip into being God? We have to go back to Jesus' baptism to understand it. 
to understand how Jesus did this stuff, you go to Luke 3, verse 21, that it says, one day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit and bodily form descended on Jesus like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are dearly loved, son, and you bring me great glory. See, at Jesus' baptism, he received the Holy Spirit. Now, all of you received the Holy Spirit the day that you became a follower of Jesus. You don't have to wait to be baptized to get the Holy Spirit. But Jesus received the Holy Spirit on the day he was baptized. That's how Jesus could do the stuff, because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. But see, Jesus also received spiritual gifts at his baptism. That's how Jesus did the things he did. Jesus had the Holy Spirit, and he had spiritual gifts, just like you and I have. Jesus cast out demons by the power of the Holy Spirit. He healed the sick by the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything Jesus did, he did by the Holy Spirit. That's how you and I are enabled to do the same thing that Jesus did. Jesus said we would do the same things he did, even greater things, because we have the Holy Spirit and we have the, Holy, and the spiritual gifts. The only limitation that Jesus had is that he could only do what he saw the Father tell him to do. Jesus couldn't just heal a room of people. He only could do what the Father gave him permission to do. And that's the same way that we all use our spiritual gifts. We can only do what the Spirit's given us permission to do. So if you would follow the teaching that says the spiritual gifts were only for the first century, then how would we do this stuff? How would I cast out a demon? In the name of Jack? That ain't going to work. How would I prophesy without the Holy Spirit and the gift of prophecy? That wouldn't work. How would I teach without the gift of teaching or the Holy Spirit? I couldn't do it. Everything that we do as followers of Jesus is because we are filled with the Holy Spirit and we have spiritual gifts. That enables us to do the things that Jesus did. That's why Jesus said we can do the same things he did, even greater things, because we have access to the same source of power that Jesus had. So the second false teaching that comes in with tongues is that says if you ask for the gift of tongues, you'll automatically get it. That has been used to hurt people a lot over the last decades or more. Thinking that if you pray and say, God, give me the gift of tongues, and you don't get it, that there is something wrong with you. That's painful. That's hurtful. That sort of creates two groups of Christians, those with a gift and those without the gift. And that's not very fun if you're the person that didn't get the gift. See, that is such a wrong teaching because it ignores Ephesians 4, Romans 12, and 1 Corinthians 12 that says God gives the gifts to people he chooses at the right time. We cannot demand God to give us a gift. It's by his sovereignty he equips us with the various gifts that we need. And sometimes we might have the gift now and maybe a little later. We don't seem to have it as much, but it's God who chooses when to give us the gift. So you might have prayed for the gift of tongues and you didn't get it. That's fine. There's no problem with asking again. But if you don't get it, there's no reason to feel like you're bad or you're a second-class Christian or there's something wrong with you or you're not spiritual enough. Look at me. I received the gift of tongues. I didn't even know what it was. I mean, if God can give the gift of tongues to a first-year seminarian and no, doesn't even know how to spell it, what could he do for a person that was sincere and really wanted it? 
So I want to talk about the third and fourth error. They're, they're similar to the second error because they're, they're kind of these errors are designed to hurt people that don't have the gift of tongues. And that's just wrong. See, error three says, if you don't have the gift of tongues, you're not saved. That was kind of a popular teaching 20, 30, 40 years ago, saying if you don't have the gift of the other languages or tongues, you're simply not a follower of Jesus. That just makes no sense either. That goes against the full counsel of what Scripture says about salvation. So there was just some proof texting that went on. So that's just wrong. People use the, and then the other teaching that they will say is error number four that says, if you do not have the gift of the Holy Spirit, you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, again, that just makes no sense either. When you became a follower of Jesus, you received the Holy Spirit, end of sentence. But somehow or another, people add to this whole other category. And the reason people sometimes do this, and this is, this is kind of their, what they do say. You go to Acts 2, which I read earlier, and it said the Spirit came with power, and the people were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues. So and they says everyone. So it kind of sounds like Spirit came, everybody got this Holy Spirit, they all spoke in tongues. That's descriptive of what happened in Acts 2. That's not prescriptive, meaning that happens every single time. And there's two other passages in Acts. I forgot them, but trust me. There's two other passages in Acts where the Holy Spirit comes on people and they speak in tongues. Again, that's a description of what happened at that time. It's not a prescription of what happens every single time. There's 19 other references in the book of Acts of when the Holy Spirit comes on people and it says nothing about the all-spoken tongues. So there it is. There's your four errors that sometimes associated with the gift of tongues, where people say either of these four wrong things, that either you're not saved, you don't have the Holy Spirit, or you're not a good enough Christian, or that the gifts are past. So I want you to understand that framework, that those, that those, those just don't make sense. So now that we got that done, I want to say, what is this gift? What is this gift of other languages or the gift of tongues? So for that reason, for that get choked up again. We go to my father-in-law. I quote him a lot. We miss him. So, anyway, I should just have you all read that book, Your Spiritual Gifts. I could take a year off from preaching because, anyway, so according to my father-in-law, and he's right. The gift of tongues, or the gift of other languages, is a special ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ. Two different reasons. Number one, to speak to God in a language that they have never learned, and or to receive and communicate a message of God to his people through a divinely anointed utterance in a language that they never learned. Now, I'm glad that my father-in-law breaks this up into two categories because this is very helpful to understand the gift if you're going to break it in two parts. There's part one, which is more of a prayer language people refer to. It's kind of something that you privately do. You might do it at home when you're alone. That's kind of primarily how I use my gift of other languages. It's kind of in my prayer time. If I'm with Becky, I will use it. If I'm in a prayer meeting and I know other people are comfortable with the gift of tongues, I might pray a little bit in tongues, but I'm not going to do it if I'm in a group of people that don't understand it. And so this is the part that it's, it's just this kind of more this private thing that you use. 
Now, in 1 Corinthians 14, here's your scripture to support it. Paul says, But if no one is present who can interpret, they must be silent in your church meetings and speak in tongues to God privately. So Paul's setting this up, saying, you don't, we're not just going to have a bunch of people come to church and speak in tongues boldly and loudly from the stage if nobody can interpret it. That would just, that would just be chaotic, and it would, just, it would serve no purpose. So what Paul is saying here is, so look, if you do have this gift, then privately use it at home. But there's another part to this gift of tongues. God might call you at times to get up in front of a group of people and speak a message in tongues corporately. But then you got to make sure that you have an interpreter there. So that's kind of how that has to work out. You know what? It's kind of a risky thing. Maybe a person's going to come up and give a message in tongues, and maybe you're like, well, maybe we're going to trust that there's going to be an interpreter. It might happen. Maybe it doesn't. It's kind of a risk that you take sometime. Hopefully there is an interpreter. So a lot of people, you get to this part and you think, this gift is just weird. I don't understand it. I don't understand how you can pray in another language and it's, what's the purpose of it? That's why we got to hover in to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 4 and 5, where Paul says, a person who speak, speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. That's powerful. That when I pray in tongues or you pray in tongues privately, that you are strengthened personally. Another translation says, the one who speaks in tongues advances his own spiritual progress. You want to advance your spiritual progress? Well, you could be praying in tongues. That's what's available. Now, Paul goes on to say, I wish all of you could speak in tongues. That's pretty powerful. Paul says, I wish every single one of you could speak in tongues. But then he says, but even more, I wish all of you could prophesy. Paul doesn't say that about every gift of the Holy Spirit. But he says it about these two. I wish you all had the gift of other languages, and I wish you could all prophesy. He goes on to say, for prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues, unless someone interprets what you're saying so the whole church would be strengthened. These are two very powerful gifts of the Holy Spirit. And these two are probably the most controversial gifts of the Holy Spirit that people like to pretend that they're not there. So how does this, so now, now we have to bring up another gift of the Holy Spirit, and that is the gift of interpretation of tongues. Because if somebody is going to speak a message in tongue, there has to be an interpreter. Well, that person has to have that gift as well. And that, my father-in-law goes on to describe that gift as the gift of interpretation of tongues is a special ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to make known in the vernacular the message of the one who is speaking in tongues. So sometimes you have that gift that you can interpret what somebody's saying in tongues. Now, my father-in-law raises a great question that everybody has, and you kind of wonder, and that is, does the interpretation of tongues equivalent to understanding a translating word for word? That's not necessarily true. It's not necessarily true if a person's getting up here that you could translate every sound that they made and give a word to it. Usually what happens is a person that has the translation of the gift of tongues will know by the power of God what the person is saying. They might not be able to translate it word for word. 
There's not solid evidence either that the, when you have a prayer language that you are always speaking another language. That happened in Acts 2, but that is not meaning that every person that has a gift of tongues is speaking another language or another dialect. Some, some uh, other parts of the Bible refer to it as the voice of angels. So it's not always a word-for-word translation, but sometimes it is. So, I mean, you read, I mean, Acts 2, very good example. People are speaking in tongues and other people are uh, understanding it. But I wanted to close this message by kind of hovering back to Acts 2, that this gift is very powerful. Earlier, I said that you should want this gift simply because it's available, and Paul says, I desire that you have this gift. But it's interesting in the passage that we read that it talks about people saying that they recognize other people are speaking their own language. But what's very interesting is what happened in the book of Acts and Acts 2 is that God did something very powerful, and that's at the core of Christianity. God is using the gift of other languages to draw people to him. That was a very powerful evangelistic tool, the gift of tongues. I don't think we always realize it's an evangelistic tool. See, in the passage in Acts, there was 15 different nations that were represented there. 15 or more different languages or dialects that were there. And what happened that day is suddenly people are understanding the languages and they're coming to, uh, uh, God is calling people from various languages to come to Christ. What happened in Acts 2 is actually a reverse of the curse that happened at the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. Some of you might remember the story in Genesis 11. It says, At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reached into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world and they stopped building the city. That is why the city was called Babel, because it's where the Lord confused the people with different languages. And this way, he scattered them all over the world. So you see in the Tower of Babel, the people are scattered all over the world because they think they can replace God. The people come together and they have so much collective wisdom together that they think they can replace God. In God, by his grace and his kindness, he separates them up. You might remember after uh, Noah and after the big flood, God said he would never destroy the world again. But God said to Noah's descendants, I want you guys to split up. I want you guys to go and move around, get into different places, but the people never did. They all stayed together. They disobeyed God right from the beginning after the flood. And so what happens, happens to them. They all come together. They're going to build this big city. And God in his kindness splits people up. God in his kindness, because he knew we had to wait for Jesus. He didn't want these people to take over the, take over the world to just lay the plan of Jesus coming. 
So here we are, we have this curse where people are scattered among the world, scattered with different languages. They all speak different languages so they could not be, as the scripture says, they could not be united. But what happens after Jesus' death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit comes? Suddenly God is calling the nations together. He's calling the people together. He's calling people from every tribe and every nation and every tongue. He's calling people together. He's calling them together so they can come to a relationship with Jesus. He's using the gift of other languages to draw people into relation with him. I love what happens after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Peter stood up with the 11 apostles and he shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, my fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. You need to clearly understand what's happening here. These people are not drunk like you say they are, for it's only nine in the morning. This is a fulfillment of what was prophesied through the prophet Joel. For God says, this is what I will do in the last days. I will pour out my spirit on everyone and I will cause your sons and daughters to prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men will experience dreams from God. The Holy Spirit will come upon my servants, men and women like, and they will prophesy. I will reveal startling signs and wonders in the sky above and mighty miracles on the earth below. Blood and fire and pillows or pillars of clouds will appear, for the sun will turn dark and the moon blood red before the great and awesome appearance of the day of the Lord. But everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. See, you know what? We live in the last days. We live in the days where the Holy Spirit is being poured out with abundance on the body of Christ. God wants people to come into a relationship with Jesus, and we are the beneficiaries of living in the last days. What the prophet Joel spoke about the Holy Spirit being poured out, we are the recipients. There's no barrier for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on the church anymore. We live in the days of the pouring out of the church, and over and over again it says, so they will prophesy. We live with that. We live in the area where the air, gifts of the Holy Spirit are being poured out. Why? Because God has called the nations together and he wants to see 3,000 people come to Christ like they did when Peter preached his message. You see, Peter preached his message and what happened? What happened? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the people in the crowd, they heard the sound, they heard the other languages. Peter gets up to speak and we see 3,000 people come to Christ. The sign and the wonder drew people and made him curious. And Peter gets up and he speaks the message and people come to salvation. How did the signs and wonders happen? Because people were using the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that is what we have the opportunity to steward. We are followers of Jesus. We have spiritual gifts. We steward spiritual gifts. And I know it is frustrating. There's times that you wish God would have done a miracle when you prayed for it. He didn't do it. But that doesn't mean you stop. You keep going back and asking. And we are hopeful and anticipating to see a greater move of the Holy Spirit. So today I don't want to close this message with an amen. I want to close this message with come Holy Spirit. So we're going to spend the last few minutes of the service together saying, come Holy Spirit. With anticipation and expectation that the Holy Spirit is doing something in this room and each of you, and those of you that are watching at home, trusting that the Holy Spirit is going to minister to you. I don't know what you came here for today. I don't know what you're expecting. I don't know what you're hoping for.
You might have been hoping that the auditorium was a little warmer. I was too. I'm shivering up here. I'm cold. Hopefully the basement will be a little warmer. But we're sitting here with an expectation. But maybe you're like me at the vineyard 28 years ago, just standing there and God did something I didn't expect or imagine. But as we pray, come Holy Spirit, we know that the Holy Spirit loves each of you. And God wants each of us to become more Christ-like. That is his goal. And so he's not going to withhold anything from anybody because he wants you to become more Christ-like. So I don't know what you need today, but God knows what you need today. So let's pray and see the Holy Spirit move. So Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus, and we thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the signs and the wonders that were poured out in the Word. We thank you, Father, for the words of the prophet Joel that says, I will pour out my Spirit on everybody. And Lord, we stand here today, and I ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be poured out in each person here today. Lord, I pray for the people here, Lord, to receive every gift of the Holy Spirit that you have for them. Lord, maybe you have for some people to receive the gift of other languages today. I pray that they would receive that. That they would receive that. Maybe you have the gift of prophecy that you want to pour out on people today. I pray that they would receive that today. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would distribute the gifts according to your perfect sovereign will today. But may we come with expectations today of saying, maybe you want to do something in me that I never imagined. And God, I also pray healing and wholeness over each person here today. That maybe there's something bothering people or upsetting people or discouraging people. I pray today that they would sense a level of freedom that they never experienced before. That you deliver people, Lord, from anything that is causing them to stumble or is causing them not to grow in their relationship with you. God, it is your desire that we become more like your son. So I pray that you'd abundantly supply us with the Holy Spirit beyond measure, beyond our expectation, so that we can become more Christ-like. So God, as we sit here at the close of this service, we're asking, Lord, for a greater measure of transformation to be poured out on each of us. That you'd change our perceptions of who we are to help it to become more like what your son has called us to be. Okay, so I'll start this morning um, with a prophetic word for you, Jack. <laughs> All right. Jack, I believe the Lord is saying to you that you are a miracle and he caused you to be a miracle for a reason. I believe that there's a new anointing that's come on you, that it's coming on you strongly and it's coming on you for signs and wonders. I believe that you're one who's going to begin to speak to the city in a way that the city has not been spoken to before, that the Lord's heart is breaking for Grand Rapids and for the West Michigan area, and that he has sent you as one of many that he is sending to this area, but who will be able to speak forth the word of the Lord. I believe that what you went through was actually a strengthening and that the Lord has raised you up 
even from the brink of death in order that you can bring life. I believe you have a new gift of miracles. I believe that you have a new gift of the prophetic word. I believe you have a new gift of intercession that has come on you in this, in this day and age. And I believe that we are going to start seeing some things that we have not seen before in this area. And it's because you were willing to lay down your life literally so that the gospel could be spread. I believe that you have said yes to the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit is going to begin moving mightily through you in a way that you have not even imagined before and that your latter days will be so much greater than your former that it will make all that you have been through say, yes, this was worth it. 